This morning, I'm going to continue in the series that I have been ministering from over the past several weeks. It's a series I'm calling Show Us the Father. I'm ministering today through a message that I really feel like I've lived. I've lived this message. So today I'm going to minister for a little while through this message I'm calling Gather the Fragments. And I was thinking that on that hot August night in 1995, when the father put his arms around me, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly who I was. There were no surprises. He not only put his arms around me, but he put his arms around all of my fragments as well. I was a broken soul with so much space junk, yet he loved me and he embraced me and he had saved me that night. You know, he didn't wait until I was perfect in thought and word and deed. You want to know why? Because that day would have never come. He accepted me just as I was, just as I am. Instead, he would gather the fragments of my brokenness. And over the years, Papa God has been, and he continues to release healing in those fragmented strongholds and memories of my soul. There are things that every single one of us deal with, and I think if you'll be honest with yourselves, when you and all of us came to Christ, we all had fragments. We all had brokenness. And it doesn't take us very long to figure out that there are still things that are wrestling matches for us. There are still things that we deal with. But I can tell you for certain that God doesn't just leave us trapped in these situations and is not concerned about it. A person would have had to have lived on Gilligan's Island or corked in Jeannie's bottle from the time they were born until now to be so removed, so disconnected, so oblivious to the reality that we are living in a fragmented world. Every course we charter, every road we go down, every corner we turn, you know what we do? We collide with fragmented souls. We collide, we run into broken people. The fragmented world that we are living in today, I mean, it has its root system in the evil one. It is the evil one that has infiltrated the minds of people, fragmented minds, if you will, and emotions and wills of multiplied millions or even maybe billions of people. So let me ask you a question. Does it stand to reason that it's easier to invade a fragmented mind than it is to invade a fortified mind. Does that make sense? You see, anything that's partially broken is easier to break than that which is whole. If you have a bone that has a hairline fracture and you put that bone under some sort of pressure, that bone will snap at that hairline fracture because it's already partially broken. A person that has a compromised immune system is a person who typically gets sick more quickly and more often than a person who has a healthy immune system. And so my point is this, being transported to Gilligan's Island to get away from all the brokenness 
and all the madness that we see. Sometimes we like, God, get me out of here. We're just tired of it. And if we could, we would want to be transported to a place where there's none of this. Well, that place is called heaven, friends, and you'll get there eventually. Just live long enough, okay? A place where there's no sickness, a place that we're transported where we're not facing the issues of life that we're facing. Well, being transported to a place like that is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. He is always the answer to all of our brokenness. In fact, if you were on Gilligan's Island, you may not get the coronavirus if you're the only one there. But the truth of the matter is, you would be there with all the other issues that you have in life. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever your issues are, there they go with you. But friends, Jesus doesn't leave us trapped there. That's not his plan. That's not part of our salvation package. Jesus came to restore us. And Jesus came to heal us. How many of you believe that? He came to restore us. He came to save us. He came to heal us. He came to have a relationship with us. But Jesus came ultimately to show us the Father. The Father is the perfect image of love. He's the perfect image of grace and truth and the perfect image of everything good. His mind is impeccable. His emotions are unadulterated and his will is absolutely flawless for us. So let's ask the questions, okay? What is it that gets in the way? You say, gets in the way of what? <laughs> what are we talking about? All this fragmentation, all this brokenness, what gets in the way? In other words, what I'm saying is, what is it that frustrates our ability to see, to behold the perfect love of God? What gets in the way of us being able to see this amazing grace and all of this wonderful truth? Well, I'll tell you what gets in the way. You ready for this? Fragments. Fragments that can be caused by many things, such as emotional trauma. You show me a person that's been emotionally traumatized, and I'll show you a person that's been shattered. There's fragments and broken pieces everywhere in their emotions. So emotional trauma leaves fragments. Physical abuse leaves fragments. And even someone who has suffered greatly for a prolonged period of time, it fragments people at times. Disappointment will fragment a man's mind. If you're just constantly and overly disappointed, it will put fragments in your mind and it begins to inhibit the way we see a good, good God. Guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation are inhibitors uh, to see the goodness of God and they create fragments in our heart. And here's one that we don't think about too often, but this is one I think might be leading the pack and it's erroneous spiritual doctrine creates fragments in your life. That's why Jesus would tell his disciples, you know, he was walking with them one day and he said, you know what? He said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, what he was getting at is he was saying the message that they have, the message they have does not bring hope. The message they have does not bring healing. The message they have does not bring wholeness. Law plus grace still equals law. And that's why Jesus said, even the yeast, it's a very small portion. All you do is sprinkle on the yeast and knead it a little bit, but yet it changes the bread as it begins to rise. And Jesus said to them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's a fly in the ointment. Did you know that a fragment of plaque 
can stop a perfectly good heart. Now, you can have a heart that runs marathons, but at the same time, you've got plaque in your arteries, and if a piece of that plaque lets go, that little piece of plaque can stop a perfectly good heart. One spot of black paint on the front of a bridal gown will ruin that bridal gown in two seconds. That bride will not want to walk down that aisle, will she, with a spot of black paint on there because you're supposed to be looking at her. You're supposed to be looking at her face, her countenance, and suddenly you're distracted and you're drawn away. The splendor is gone in a sense. So it doesn't take much to ruin the way we perceive the virtues of the Father's perfect love and His grace and His truth. I would go so far as to say that old covenant doctrine taught to new covenant believers is the artery plaque and the wedding dress paint that spoils the way we see the Father's loving kindness. I would, I would say that. So if we're going to fortify our minds with health, then we need to fortify our minds with wealth, the wealth of grace and truth. Grace and truth have a way of defragging. Isn't that an interesting word? Defragging space junk. Defragging means it reaches out there and it starts, if you know what defragging a computer is, it reaches out there and it takes things that are not where they're supposed to be and it brings them over and it gets rid of some stuff. Defragging. It brings things together so that it's coherent and it has more space available. But grace and truth have a way of defragging space junk and old-time religion and clutter. How many of you guys like clutter? How many of you made a New Year's resolution to get rid of some clutter? I'm getting smart when it gets time to get rid of clutter. And that's just, I have to ask Valerie first. Because I just throw a whole bunch of stuff in the trash and she comes and digs it back out. She's done that before, you know. She's like, what are you doing throwing away my stuff? I said, honey, we haven't touched it in 10 years. It's in the shed. You didn't even know it was there until you saw it in the garbage can. <laughs> but do you see, I'm talking about grace and truth. I'm talking about these twins that are powerful that come and start working in our lives. And what are they there to do? They're there for many reasons, but one of them is they declutter. They remove stuff. They defrag. What? Old-time religion. How many of you heard that song? Come on, give me that old-time religion. You heard that song? I almost want to start singing it for Jim there for a second. Oh, man, it's, it's got a snappy little beat. But I'm telling you, old-time religion was killing grandma, and it's killing many people today, too. I'm not looking for old-time religion. I'm looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ, one that's personal, one that's up close, one that I can feel and sense and see, one that I know is there. I'm not looking to hang my hat on all the things I got done today and all the things I didn't do today. I'm looking for a relationship where Jesus just says, brother, let's just sit down and just, just enjoy each other's company. Isn't that awesome? We don't even have to talk if you don't want to talk. We'll just be beside each other. Is that okay? That's a real relationship. And this is what grace and truth do. They come along and they say, you know, this right here is changing the way you see my daddy. Changing the way you see my father. So this stuff is going to get moved out of the way. But how does it happen? As grace and truth begin to drip into your heart, the constant drip through the word and listening to his heart. 
I'm telling you, it's defragging you in ways you don't know. So grace and truth have a way of cleaning up the plaque that old covenant teaching left in our arteries. Grace and truth have a way of removing the spots from the wedding garment, friends. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we find these words. Come on. This is the Apostle Paul speaking right here. Look what he says. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Let's just stop here for a second, okay? I feel like putting a tent out here and just camping on this one just for a moment. He says, do not be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything is what he says. And that word anxious literally means don't be nervous. Uh, don't be worried. Don't be concerned. Don't be restless. You know, when I look at this and I think, Paul, surely there must have been something that made you nervous. Surely there must have been something that worried you. How can you write something like this? You say, do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> you know, he's got such a revelation of grace. He's got such a revelation of the up close and personal God. This is how you get to not being anxious about anything. I'm telling you, there is nothing you can practice that will take you there when you get bad news. Look, from the time I was born, when you heard the big C word, right? We all knew what that meant. That meant cancer. When we heard uh, the big C word. Well, today the enemy's brought in other C words like COVID. You know, when someone says he's got the big C, you go like, the big C? You mean COVID? No. And chaos and corruption. These are all tactics of the enemy to get us over into being concerned again, to be nervous again, to be worried again, to be restless. He wants us to be restless. And the central message of the gospel is rest in Christ. And the Apostle Paul comes out just firing right here in Philippians chapter four as he's wrapping up that letter to the Philippian church. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. Come on, are you with me on that? Don't be anxious about anything. How are you going to get there? Grace and truth. Drip, drip, drip. Up close, personal, viable relationship. That's what got me there. I'm more confident today than I've ever been. And that's not because every single day is filled with wonderful, absolute, holy thoughts, friends. I'm telling you, my mind runs rampant sometimes too, right? But I'm telling you, it's because of what I've understood about this gospel of grace, that I'm righteous at all times, no matter what. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. But he says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Look at what he says now. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it doesn't just inch itself by, it transcends it. That means it goes well beyond your understanding. No way for you to catch up to it. He says, it transcends human understanding. He said, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, Paul's saying, I can't even put it into words. He said, my understanding is all I know is it's way out in front of us. It is so glorious and so awesome and powerful and beautiful. That peace of God transcends my ability to even tell you how awesome it is. It transcends our understanding. And he says, it is that peace of God that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. So what? So what? So that what? So you don't get nervous. So that you don't get worried. So that you don't get restless. 
so you don't be concerned, friends. Next scriptures. He says, finally, brothers, come on, you know these scriptures. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Come on now. We're the caretaker of everything that comes in for the most part into our eye gates and our ear gates. And I understand there's some things you can't control. I work in an environment. I can't control all the language in the room. I can't control all the things I see in the room. But that doesn't trouble my heart because I understand these people are disconnected from God. It's okay. You pray for them, but you don't let that trouble your heart. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, he said, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we get to choose what we think about. We get to choose what we meditate upon. We get to choose what feeds our hearts and our spirit man. Things that are true and noble and pure and lovely. I'm not trying to put you under any laws or any commandments here, but I'm telling you, the more we do that, do you know what it does? It's like a Pac-Man on concern. It's like a Pac-Man, if you will, on worry and restlessness. It eats it right up. The syringe from the media is a Molotov cocktail of fear, and they have inoculated minds and emotions. You know that, don't you? It's true. The syringe from the Old Covenant does the same thing. It strips away peace and leaves a man in fragments. The media has pummeled the bridal gown with a paintball gun and has fed the bride of Christ a meal that clogs arteries. As a consequence, fear and panic are literally off the Richter scale. Condemnation is biting people like a junkyard dog, friends. Division and separation have become the language of the land, but I'm telling you, division and separation is not the language of heaven. Not the language of heaven. So I can choose to say, I'm not going to feed on that. I'm going to feed on that which is pure and lovely and good report. Because the language of heaven, friends, is assurance and peace and unification and oneness. The language of heaven is the finished work of Jesus Christ. The language of heaven is the bride without spot or wrinkle. The bride with a brand new heart. That's the language of heaven. She's got a wedding garment on that has no spots, no blemish, no wrinkle. And she's got a new heart. This is the bride of Christ. That's you. That's me. We're the bride of Christ. Morality is the lowest that I've ever seen in my 61 years of life. So low, in fact, I think we ought to fly our flags at half staff in memory of the fallen heroes of honor and respect that seem like they have fallen away from the family fabric and we've raised up a generation that do not know honor. They don't know respect. Well, friends, that's because they many of them did not grow up in God-filled homes. They didn't grow up in homes with fathers, so they just cannot identify. Guilt, shame, and condemnation have wiped the brightness from the countenance of so many souls. How did this happen, you ask? Listen to me carefully. There are people that won't like what I'm about to say. How did this happen? How did we get here? Because parents and our spiritual leaders failed to show their growing children the true heart of the Father, which is Jesus Christ and His finished 
work of grace. You say, Pastor Mark, that's a pretty bold statement. You're painting with a broad brush. No, that's a bold statement, all right. And I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush because I realize there are exceptions to that. Your kids, perhaps, my kids, sure. But it's a true statement. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is you don't have to apologize for the truth. Let me ask you a question. Can you show me anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said, I'm sorry? <laughs> you can't do it, can you? Can you show me anywhere in the Bible where he says, you know, I apologize for that. Can you show me anywhere he had to reel back in his words? No, he always spoke truth. The Bible says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about this a couple of nights ago. And I thought, man, if my daddy or my mama would have put a violin in my hands as a little child, and I would have tenaciously and relentlessly practiced that violin daily, day after day, hour after hour, do you know today I would be a concert violinist? There's no question about it. You put that much practice in front of someone, they develop is what they do. Now, take the melody of the Father's heart. It's the psalm of love, grace, and truth. And take the song of Jesus, which is the finished work of the cross, and let's relentlessly instill these values, relentlessly put these virtues into our growing children's hearts. And I'm telling you, you will change the culture. You will change the next generation. You will. In Jesus's ministry, he encountered a man we refer to as the Gadarene demoniac, a man who had a fragmented mind. The scriptures tell us that this man lived in the cemetery. No problem. You want to know why there's no problem? Because Jesus came to gather the fragments, friends. Friends, that man didn't need a jail. He needed a hospital. You see, he was born into a pagan religion, a people that hated God. But that didn't stop Jesus. You see, that didn't stop him. You would have surely thought if there was a time when Jesus would walk around. These people hate me. You're a lot of work. You've been scaring a lot of people. But Jesus went to him intentionally because the father said, I want you to cross the other side of the lake. And he was probably whispering in his heart what he was going to find on the other side of the lake. The last thing that man needed when he was in quicksand up to his eyeballs, was a pat on the head and well wishes. And Jesus didn't do that for him. No, what that man needed was a way out. And that's what Jesus did. He provided him with a way out, a way out of his bondage, a way out of his torment, a way out of his fragmented mind. The Gadarene demoniac didn't need a sedative. He needed a representative, someone that would come as an advocate for his freedom. Isn't that what Jesus did for you? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He surely did that for me. He didn't need a sedative. And the world thinks so differently. We can just quiet you down, give you a sedative. No, this man needed a representative, someone that would come and love him in the condition that he was in. We see that truth in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. How many of you know the gospel is good news, right? It's good news, friends. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal 
the brokenhearted. That's the man, that's the woman, that's the boy, that's the girl with the fragmented heart, the brokenhearted. He said to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or another way to say it, a year of the Lord's grace. Beautiful. The graveyard-bound man didn't need a vaccination. He needed a visitation of the power and the love and the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of God. The Gadarene demoniac was fragmented, but Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth to gather the fragments that nothing be wasted. Friends, there's nothing pretty about a puzzle when it's in a pile of pieces, is there? And there's nothing coherent about the pieces of a puzzle until you unite them together, until you put one next to the other and form the picture that it was designed to be. But Jesus saw the Gadarene demoniac as altogether lovely, even though he was in pieces and incoherent. That's not the way Jesus saw him. He saw him as worth it. He saw him as altogether lovely. And that's the way he sees you and me, altogether lovely. Jesus came to put his arms around us and all of our broken pieces and heal us. Friends, Jesus didn't come just to put us back together. He came to make us whole. There's a difference, friends, in just healing a leper and making the leper whole. The Bible talks about how Jesus made the leper whole. That means everything he was missing, he got back. All the appendages, the fingers, the noses, whatever it might have been, Jesus came to make them whole. It's not just putting us back together. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, we find this story, this narrative. And I looked at several different translations just to see how they, it would word it. And I don't know, some, for some reason, I landed on the message, paraphrase. And here's what it says about Jesus meeting that Gadarene demoniac. They arrived on the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. As Jesus got out of the boat, a madman from the cemetery came up to him. He lived among the tombs and graves. No one could restrain him. He couldn't be chained, couldn't be tied down. He had been tied up many times with chains and ropes and broke the chains, snapped the ropes. You know, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, really? Because I've seen handcuffs before and they, they're just a little chain. It's not very big. But I mean, the biggest men in the world can't break those handcuffs typically. And I'm thinking, these guys aren't using this little chain. They've got, I mean, a chain that you're going to hook to a, a, a mule to plow with, a chain that you're going to put around the yoke of an, an oxen or something. This is a big chain. I thought, man, this guy is demon-possessed. You can't do this kind of stuff in your own strength. And it says, he had been tied up many times with chains and ropes, but he broke the chains, snapped the ropes. No one was strong enough to tame him. I remember when I was 12 years old, when I lived in the mountains of Virginia, I had a friend of mine say, you know, if you lay down on your back on the ground there, he said, do you believe I could hold you down with a single hair from a horse's mane? I said, no, I wouldn't believe that. He said, let's do it. We had a horse. We, our horse's name was Bill. Uh, we, <laughs> we had a horse named Bill. 
And uh, he pulled out a hair. He put it around his hands like that. And, and as I was laying there, he put it right across the bridge of my nose. And there was no way I had enough strength in my head to pull that up. And it was just kind of digging into your nose. It wouldn't snap that single hair. Now, friends, think about this. We're talking about robes with many braids in there. And this man is shattering the robes. And time after time, when they've tied him down, do you see how madman this guy is? Do you get a, a glimpse at the power of the evil one working through him? I see it. And then it says, no one was strong enough to tame him. Night and day, he roamed through the graves and the hills, screaming out and slashing himself with sharp stones. Next scripture. When he saw Jesus a long way off, he ran and bowed in worship before him and then howled in protest. See, the sight of the man is looking to worship Jesus. He knows that this man can do something for him. He's looking for relief. He's looking for freedom where he's trapped that. And so he runs and bows before Jesus in worship. But at the same time, the demonic force in him is howling at him like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. What business do you have, Jesus, son of the high God, messing with me? I swear to God, don't give me a hard time. Jesus had just commanded the tormenting evil spirit, out! Get out of the man. Jesus asked him, tell me your name. He replied, my name is Mob. I'm a rioting mob. Now, friends, we normally see the word there, my name is Legion. And all Eugene Peterson did here is he broke it down into something that we're familiar with. We're familiar not with legions, but we're familiar with mobs. We're familiar with the destruction of rioting mobs. And he said, I am a mob. I'm a rioting mob, a gang of people all at one time. Jesus asked him, tell me your name. He said, my name is Mob, I'm a rioting mob. Then he desperately begged Jesus not to banish them from the country. Who's them? That's all the demons. A legion is 6,000, friends. There were 6,000 demons in this man. Next scripture. It says, A large herd of pigs was grazing and rooting on a nearby hill. The demons begged him, Send us to the pigs so we can live in them. Jesus gave the order, but it was even worse for the pigs than for the man. Crazed, they stampeded over a cliff and into the sea and drowned. <laughs> Those tending the pigs, scared to death, bolted and told their story in town and in country. Everyone wanted to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the madman sitting there wearing decent clothes. Where did he get these decent clothes? I mean, did he have a little suitcase when he went to the cemetery going, there's someday, there's a man that's going to come along and he's going to put me back in my right mind and I'll need a change of clothes because this man's naked. No, friends, it doesn't say it, but it's obvious Jesus gave him the clothes. The disciples gave him the clothes. And that's what we are to do. We are to clothe one another with the gospel. We're to clothe one another with God's righteousness. We're to clothe one another with encouragement. And so the people come back and they see this man wearing decent clothes, not clothes that have been sitting there for months under the elements, friends. He's wearing decent clothes and making sense. 
no longer a walking madhouse of a man. Next scriptures. Those who had seen it told the others what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. At first they were in awe. That means they just went, what? They were in awe. And then they were upset, upset over the drowned pigs. They demanded that Jesus leave and not come back. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I just find that amazing that you could set a man free. See, this is how steep they were in paganism that they put more value on animals than they did mankind. Wow. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon-delivered man begged to go along, but he wouldn't let him. Jesus said, go home to your own people. Tell them your story. <laughs> this is so powerful, man. Go home to your own people. Who are your people? Everybody you encounter, friends. Everywhere you go, those are your people. He said, go home to your own people. But he says to them, tell them your story. There's something so powerful and so beautiful about your own story. How God delivered you. And I've seen that work time and time again. I don't have time to get into it this morning, but I have seen it time and time again when I've tried to debate somebody, argue somebody into coming to Christ. And then I've just felt so frustrated and had to give up. And I just say, look, let me just tell you what Jesus did for me. I'm telling you, there is almost nothing more powerful than your own story. And Jesus said, I want you to go back to your own people. I want you to tell them your story. Tell them what the master did and how he had mercy on you. The man went back and began to preach to the 10 towns. He was from the Decapolis area. You see that? Decade, Decapolis. From the 10 towns area about what Jesus had done for him, he was the talk of the town. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? So let's ask a couple of questions here, okay? See, when I read stuff like this, I have to extrapolate. I have to reduce this thing down. I have to come to some sort of conclusion. What is this story about? Why would God want this story in the Bible? And what was it that God desired for us to see from this narrative? And as I began to meditate on it, and I just began to listen to the Holy Spirit, He began to fill my mind full of treasures. First, He wanted us to see, first of all, his heart for fragmented souls. I don't think there's anything that speaks louder than that, that Jesus would come to this man who's just in fragments terribly. And he wanted us to see his heart for the destitute people of, of life, his heart for fragmented souls. He also wanted us to see that no man is beyond his ability to save or to heal, or to deliver, even when the grave is within reach. Even those who have waited to the last minute. I have been with people at the end of life, people I would have thought would never come to Christ. But the Father was preparing the boat to cross the sea to encounter someone who was hostile against God at one time, that suddenly he had made a way for them to be compelled to come. And I've watched people come to Christ when they 
literally were breaths away, breaths away from death, should I say. So he wanted us to see that no man is beyond his grasp, his ability to save and heal and deliver, even when the grave is within reach. He wanted you and me to know that we have but a light affliction compared to the fragmented mind of the Gadarene demoniac. Friends, I want to tell you something. I don't think there's anything that you're ever going to face in life, anything I'm ever going to face or go through in life that will compare to the unhinged mob of emotions and violence that once raged inside of the Gadarene demoniac's mind. That man <laughs> was stark raving mad even before that expression came about in the 15th century. He was stark raving mad. That didn't stop Jesus. I believe that the Father wanted us to see that in those times, on those occasions, when we have felt so isolated that we could be put in remembrance that Jesus came to gather the fragments. On those occasions when we felt so bound by habits and addictions and mindsets, Jesus came to gather the fragments. On those times when we feel chained one moment and unrestrained the next, we can rest in the fact that Jesus came to gather the fragments. Like a crazy man sometimes in our lives, we feel like we're about to go crazy. Jesus came to gather the fragments. How about those times when we felt like screaming at the top of our lungs? You ever done that? You start banging on things, pots and pans. You start banging on the walls. You bang on the dashboard of your car. You shake your fist in the air because there's just been times in your life when you've been so stressed and so beside yourself. Friends, it's in those times that Jesus came to gather the fragments. How about those times when we felt like slashing ourselves with names that are not fitting for ourselves? We call ourselves all kinds of names that are just not congruent with the gospel. It's in those times that Jesus came to gather the fragments. Behind all of that stuff are fragmentation of fear and guilt and shame and condemnation. And there's something that drives that. That's just the manifestation. There's something that's driving that. How about those occasions when we felt like a, a rioting mob was looting our soul and burning everything to the ground inside of us. You ever felt that way? Come on, go back far enough one time. You ever felt like a rioting mob was at loose in your mind and you didn't know which direction to turn and there were fires that were burning everywhere and it was burning everything that you loved to the ground. If you have never lived that way, you better praise God. But I grew up in a neighborhood and I grew up in a life where I had to live that way for a long time, friends but he's delivered me from that. You know why? He came and gathered my fragments. How about those times when we felt that through our own choices, we had made our bed among the graves and tombs? I've got a word for you today. Jesus came to gather the fragments. Friends, thankfully, I don't know what it's like to be demon-possessed, but I do know what it's like to feel isolated. That I know. I do know what it feels like to be bound by addiction and dead-end habits. I do know what it feels like to be chained and unrestrained. I do know what it feels like when at times I felt like a crazy man. Times when I felt like I was going to lose my mind. 
I do know what it feels like when at times I've screamed at the top of my lungs and sliced and diced myself with names. I know what that feels like. I do know what it feels like when at times it felt like an angry mob was at loose on the inside of me wanting to burn my life down. I do know what it feels like in times past through my own choices. It felt like I had made my bed in hell. I had made my bed among the tombs and the graves. I know what that feels like. But through the miracle, the miracle of grace, the miracle of God's unfathomed, almost impossible as it will be, love. Through that miracle, Jesus gathered the fragments of my brokenness and he spoke these words into my heart when he said, surely he hath borne thy griefs and carried thy sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him and with his stripes, I am healed. As Valerie was even talking about communion, it's never been about us. And I think that's what happens is we look inward when we should be looking toward Christ in every situation. Friends, you don't need to take your bridal gown to the dry cleaners and your old covenant plaque encrusted arteries to the surgeon. Jesus said to his new friend, go home to your own people. Tell them your story. What the master did how he had mercy on you. Tell them how I gathered the fragments of your madman, puzzle-piled, incoherent life, and I put it back together. Tell your own people how I dressed you in decent clothes, clothes you received from the king, and how I fortified a mind, a mind of yours that makes sense now. Tell your own people how you left behind your old man in the cemetery. Come on, tell your people how you went from demon-possessed to demon-delivered. Tell your people that kind of stuff. You see, when they're struggling with something, maybe it's an unbeliever, when they're struggling with something and you can come along perhaps and say, you know what, I can identify with this. I was there in a similar way at one time. But I'm telling you, I no longer live in the cemetery. The old man was buried there. I'm a new creation in Christ. Total makeover, friends. A legion of demons is what possessed the Gadarene demoniac. Believers, on the other hand, cannot be possessed by demons. I felt the Lord say, put that in this sermon because I have talked to believers, several of them over the years, even some recently, who says that they've got demons, that they are possessed by demons. That is not true. James would write in his book, he would say, fresh water and bitter water cannot flow from the same spring. Jesus does not share a condo with Satan, friends. He lives on the inside of us. He lives in our spirit. There is no devil in our spirit. It's the mind. It's the will. It's the emotions. It's the fragmentation here that we're dealing with. And so the church spends all this time. And I, I look, in my early years, I did the same thing. I always thought if you had some weird things going on, even if you were a believer in Christ, you had a devil. We would pin people to the floor and try to cast out devils. And we would be there until the sweat was dripping off of us. Yet we never saw a devil come out. That's because there wasn't one in there to begin with, friends. It's what was trapped in the mind of people. Believers are not set free in their minds, wills, and emotions by casting out demons. Okay? So let's ask the question. If believers are not set free by casting out demons, then how are believers set free in their souls, in their mind, their will, their emotions? 
You're not set free by casting out demons. How do you get set free? I'll tell you how. It's by casting your cares on him, for he cares for you. It's by casting your net to the right side of the boat. In other words, you've listened to Christ. You're listening to his word. And he says, there's nothing over there on that side of the boat. Cast your nets to the right side of the boat. You get free by casting down imaginations, fragmented imaginations, friends. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, look at these words. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Look what he says. Casting down imaginations. What does that mean? What does it mean, casting down imaginations? Imaginations literally translates in the Bible as reasonings. It translates as opinions. In other words, as preachers and teachers, we walk around with these reasonings. Well, I just reasons to be if it says this, then it means this. But he says right here, Casting down imaginations, that means we cast down our reasonings. We cast down our opinions. The thought that you can lose your salvation is the opinion of many preachers. And that's an imagination that needs to get cast down. That's a thought that needs to get cast down because you cannot. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing, the high thing there talks about a barrier. Whatever's high, whatever you can't seem to get over. He says, casting down every high thing, thoughts, if you will, that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Every human being has encountered either in the past or is currently dealing with dysfunction, heartache, brokenness, or stronghold imaginations. I've not met anybody that hasn't yet. From the physical body to the emotional soul, for many, their journey through life has been littered with the carnage of delusion and disappointment. Just littered all over the place. Disappointment, delusion, deception, dysfunction. From the heaviness of financial burden to the rending of the family tree, from the battlefield of emotional trauma to the parasite of shame, many people have walked the breadcrumb trail of loneliness and brokenness. You show me a fragmented life and I'll show you a person who has been used, abused, and always refused. You show me a person that is a fragmented life, and I'll show you a person that's wrestling with guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. They just go hand in glove. You can't have one without the other. In Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, he defined fragment for us. This is how Noah Webster defined fragment. He says, a part broken off, a piece separated from anything by breaking, a part separated from the rest, an imperfect part. I think I can speak for all of us when I say we don't like it when our parts break, do we? We've got a lot of stuff, and parts break on our stuff. Whether it be our automobile, our dishwasher, I don't like it. Especially, I'd rather have my car break down than the dishwasher, to be honest with you. We don't like it when the car breaks down. We don't like it when the dishwasher breaks down. We don't like it when the parts on our body fail, do we? No. Would you like to know why we so dislike broken parts? Because it translates into pain and inconvenience, 
and expense. That's why. As a child, I bounce back and forth between my parents. I might live two months in Virginia, then I'm back in Wisconsin. Then I'm in West Virginia, and I'm back in Wisconsin. I bounce back and forth between my parents and even lived in a foster home for two years. I told you that not too long ago. So I know what it feels like to live in a broken family. And I know the pain of separation firsthand. I know what it feels like to have broken parts. I know what it feels like to have a fragmented mind. I know what it feels like to have a broken heart. I know what it feels like to stand at the window of an upstairs apartment and watch my daddy drive away. Knowing I won't see him, who knows when I'll see him again. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be a puzzle in a pile of pieces, incoherent in all my ways. I know what it feels like to have not gone on a single family vacation. I'm not saying that so you'll, for some little pity party here. I've got beyond that, friends. I'm healed of that. But not one single time in my growing up, my 18 years, did I ever go on one single family vacation. And when I see people doing this all the time, I just say, thank God that family's intact. My mother never had any money and she didn't know how to drive and daddy wasn't around long enough and he was born in 1922 and had a, a second grade education and to him it was just sit around, drink coffee all day long. I'm not faulting him for that, but I know that's what I told you in the beginning. I am ministering today from a life I've lived and people are living this life, but in different ways. I know what it feels like to have lived a life of unrest and a feeling of imperfection. Like you just never measure up. Like everybody's better than you. We always got the cheapest clothes, Salvation Army came to cut our hair, all that stuff, you know? I mean, we just got the cheapest of everything. I would be embarrassed to go to school wearing the cheap little things we had. I had two pairs of pants when I was in uh, ninth grade, and I, I just did my best, friends. I did. What am I getting at? What I'm getting at is I identify with Noah Webster's definition of a fragment. A part broken off. A piece separated from anything by breaking. A part separated from the rest. An imperfect part. Friends, that was my childhood. And then all of that fragmentation that I experienced as a child orbited over into my adult life. How many of you know you just grow right into it, right? That is until, come on, Christ. That is until Christ would gather the fragments of all my guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. He would gather it to himself. That is until Christ would gather my brokenness so that nothing be wasted, nothing would be destroyed, including my childhood innocence. That for the longest time when I was in my 20s, I could look back and just go, somebody stole my childhood. Where did it go? I don't have the memories that so many other people had. What happened? I don't feel that way today. I feel like nothing's been wasted because Jesus has gathered the fragments of all that brokenness and he's taken it away. I'm totally healed in that regard. Totally healed. Friends, there was a time in our lives when we were all broken off. Let's just be honest. <laughs> we were all broken off without a covenant, without God, and without hope. Scriptures tell us that. There was a time when we were separated from God and separated from His rest. There was a time when nothing about us was perfect. 
But Jesus would change all of that. You know how he did that? By destroying the barrier, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, the dividing wall of hostility, it's called, and by setting aside in his flesh the law with all of its commands and regulations. So let's ask a couple of questions. How is Jesus going to reveal the Father? How is he going to show a father to a man who didn't have one really growing up? How is he going to reveal the heart of a loving, kind daddy? I mean, this is a chore, isn't it? I mean, if you've never known this, how are you going to reveal the heart? How are you going to show the heart of the father? And how would Jesus bring us near to the father so that we're not a million bazillion miles away? How is he going to do that? By preaching the gospel of peace to us. You know what peace means? <laughs> it comes from the word shalom. It means nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing fragmented. It's a new message. It's a message of peace and reconciliation. And this is how Jesus is going to reveal the Father, by preaching peace to us. You know what he did? Jesus showed us the true heart of the Father. And by shedding his blood on the cross, he not only died for our sins, but he would bring us near to the Father. And he made us one with the entire Godhead. It was through the preaching of peace and the shedding of Jesus's precious blood. I told someone yesterday, I said, look, there is no liquid that's ever touched the ground more precious than Jesus's blood. And his blood worked, friends. You can't add anything to Jesus's blood. And by doing this, by preaching peace to us and the shedding of his blood, Jesus would reconcile both the fragmented Jew and the fragmented Gentile to his father and put to death their hostility. He would make us one with himself. He would make us one with the sweet Holy Spirit. And he would make us one with the father. We see this truth in John chapter 17, verses 21 through 23. I love these verses. How many of you know that chapter 17 of the, the gospel of John is all read? It's just all read. Jesus is doing all the talking. He's got this big, long prayer, not as long as mine, but it's a long prayer. He's got this long prayer that he's praying uh, for himself, for all believers, for his disciples. But this is a segment from that. Here's what he said. I love this. Listen to his heart, friends, that they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me and I in thee. He said, let it be exactly that way, Daddy. The way I'm in you and the way you're in me, let them be one like that. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Look at these words. That they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Where are we at? We're in one, aren't we? He said that you become perfect in one. Friends, in our spirit, the wedding garment has no spots and our arteries are without plaque. Isn't that beautiful? And then he says, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, look at these last words, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. I'm telling you, I had tears in my eyes this morning when I was reading that. I thought, Father, are you kidding me? Jesus just said there, 
that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved Fred and hast loved Judy and hast loved Gene and Marty and David and all the rest of you that didn't get your name put out there. I'm telling you, he has loved you. The Father has loved you the exact same way he's loved Jesus, with as much intensity, with as much passion. That's an amazing set of scriptures, isn't it? That thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. You want to get set free, friends? In fragmented emotions, you take that scripture right there and you begin to meditate on it that the Father loves you exactly the way He loves Christ. Amazing scripture. Friends, there was a time when many felt like they were worthless and disposable. A time when we felt like nobody wanted us. A time when the actions of others put us into foster care. But God sent Jesus to gather the fragments of broken humanity and to rescue us by adopting us into his family and making us one with the Father. That's what we just covered in those scriptures. And by him, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Not foster father, Abba, Father. He's our daddy. He's not our foster father. He's our daddy. And he loves us the way he loves his son, Jesus. Again, by the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross, he brought us near to the Father and made us one with the Godhead. It was through the preaching of peace and the shedding of blood that Jesus would reconcile the fragmented Jew and the fragmented Gentile to his Father and put to death their hostility. We see this truth in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That kind of sounds like Noah Webster's dictionary, a fragment, doesn't it? Without hope, broken, without God separated, without rest and imperfect in all of our ways. That was us at one time. Noah, you nailed it. Next scriptures. But now, I love that, but because all of that bad news right now just got hijacked by a but. Come on. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near Look at this, by the blood of Christ. If that doesn't make your inners leap by the blood of Christ, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. What does peace mean? Nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing fragmented. He himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. What's the two groups? The fragmented Jew and the fragmented Gentile, friends. He's made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. This was all part of being able to give us a brand new life, a brand new covenant. Next scriptures. Now, we find out what his purpose was. It says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. What does peace mean? Come on. Nothing missing. 
nothing broken, nothing fragmented. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility, he came and preached. Come on, peace. What does peace mean again? Nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing fragmented. He preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. You see, friends, he doesn't have a different plan for the Jew or the Gentile, for the saved or the lost. He came to preach peace. It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of peace. Grace brings peace. He said, that's what brings you near to my father. That's what deals with your fragmented ways and hearts. Friends, Jesus didn't shed his blood on the cross so that he could just replace our broken parts. It's not about repair. It's about remediation. It's about restoration. It's about regeneration. It's about reconciliation. He recreated us is what he did. He recreated us. Next scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You've heard it many times. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We've been recreated in him, not just repaired. The old man's in the cemetery. Friends, we are so much more than a hybrid Humpty Dumpty. You know, God didn't just gather our fragments, our brokenness, our separations, and our imperfect pieces just to reattach them. He made us a new creation in Christ. Friends, Jesus came because every heart was fragmented. Every heart was broken off. Every heart was separated from the Father. Every heart was imperfect. He came to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came to reveal His Father's love and His Father's mercy and His Father's grace and His Father's kindness and His Father's heart is what He did. And He came to rescue us from the graveyard. He came to reverse the curse of us cutting ourselves when we fail. How do we cut ourselves? With names, with thoughts. He came to institute a new and better covenant. He came to show us the Father, not just through His perfection and not just through His connection, but through His affection toward us. He came to show us the heart of His Daddy. Jesus brought the Father up close and personal, intimate and delicate. He came to gather the fragments. I'm talking about fragmented humanity when I'm talking about this. He came to gather the fragments unto His Father so that nothing be wasted. Nothing be wasted. And that was Jesus' motif. That was His heart all throughout His ministry. My closing scriptures, my closing thoughts here. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed Him because they saw the signs He had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Where did he get this at? Where did he get this thing in mind? Because the father had already told him, son, 
you're going to go up on this mountainside. You're going to have a crowd, an entourage of people that's going to throng you. They're going to come because they, you've been performing these miracles, but they're going to be without food. So Jesus, I don't know if he's having a little fun. He's doing something there, but he, he's asking Philip, where, you know, where should we buy all this food? You know? Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, plus women, plus children. This is a group of people, friends. Next scriptures. Look at these, friends. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the fragments that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. That 12th verse of John chapter 6 was the inspiration for this message, in case you didn't gather that. Jesus said, gather the fragments. Let nothing be wasted. The Greek word behind our English word wasted is apollony. It means to destroy fully, to perish, to lose, to destroy, to die. It is the same word that Jesus used in John 10.10 when he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy, apollony. That word destroy and the word wasted are the exact same Greek word. Jesus was essentially saying, gather the fragments. Nothing is destroyed that I have already blessed. Nothing is destroyed. So let's ask the closing questions. Why did Jesus say, gather the fragments, let nothing be wasted? Well, the scriptures don't tell us. So we have to use our imaginations a little bit. Let's rule out some things I don't think it was. Was Jesus concerned about his next meal? <laughs> I don't think that was it. If he performed one miracle, he'll perform another one. So I don't think it was that. Was Jesus concerned that they would be littering? No. Birds love bread. Birds love fish. Wouldn't have been littering. Did Jesus want them to bring the leftover bread and fish as a trophy that symbolized and reminded him of the miracle, the great miracle that he just did, a miracle that was so great that all four Gospels recorded it, the only miracle that they record, all of them together. That wasn't it either. We may never know what the real reason for Jesus saying, gather the fragments, let nothing be wasted. We may not know what the real reason behind that was, but one thing we can conclude if Jesus cared that much about leftover bread and fish, then how much more does he care about us? He cares so much that he's not willing to leave anything behind. Jesus lifts us before the Father like he did the bread. And Jesus gives thanks. He gives thanks and he says, thank you, Daddy, for these. Friends, we are held in the hands of Jesus, blessed by Jesus. 
and presented to the Father. Therefore, the thief cannot destroy us. Jesus said, gather the fragments. Let nothing be wasted. Amen. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The Father wants to release healing into the fragmented areas of our souls. We can trust Him. He is the perfect image of love and grace and truth and mercy and kindness and everything good. So let's ask that question that I asked earlier. Let's ask it all over again. What frustrates our ability to see such love? What frustrates, what inhibits our ability to see such grace? What frustrates our ability to see the love of the Father? The love that when we were far away brought us near by the blood of Christ. The love that came calling for us when we made our beds among the tombs and graves. The love that destroyed all the barriers, all the regulations. The love that didn't shun us when we were chained and unrestrained. The love that clothed us and put us in our right mind when we were struggling with an unhinged mob of emotions and about to lose our stark raven minds. I'll tell you what gets in the way of beholding the perfect love of the Father. It's fragments. Fragments of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. And these fragments can stem from emotional trauma and physical abuse. Fragments that come from broken families and broken promises and broken dreams and disappointment and lies. Lies from the enemy that says, you're not worth it. You're worthless. He didn't come for you. Lies from the enemy. Cast down those kind of imaginations. Fragments that come from attempting to live this new covenant life through an old covenant ideology. That is a fragment, friends. Friends, fragments may be detrimental to our physical hearts and they may even stain our reputation. But in Christ, we have been given new hearts. We've been given a new name. We have been clothed in garments without spot or wrinkle. Fortifying our minds with health begins with fortifying our minds with wealth, the wealth of grace and truth. Friends, there may have been occasions when we've felt disposable. It's in those times that I have reminded myself that my reasonings, how I feel about it, my opinions are only vain imaginations imaginations that we cast down and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Apostle Paul instructed us not to be anxious about anything, not to be worried, but to look to Christ, not to be restless, but to pray and petition the Father with thanksgiving. Paul told us to meditate on that which is true and that which is noble, and that which is pure, and that which is right, and that which is lovely, and that which is good. He said, I want you to meditate on those things because that's where the healing will come from as you're meditating on all the goodness of my Father. Friends, the language from big pharma, big tech, big media, and big government is absolutely a sedative. That's all they offer. 
but we don't need sedatives. We need a representative, friends. And Jesus Christ is that representative, the one who came as an advocate for our freedom and didn't stop until he purchased it all at the cross. The one who held us before the Father, he gave thanks and blessed us. And then he told his disciples, gather the fragments. Let nothing be wasted. Father, I thank you so much. This is a, an absolute smorgasbord of a message. I know it's hard to take the whole thing in, but can we reduce it down? Can we bring it down to the fact that Jesus held us before you? He held us before you as the cross held him. And he said, Father, it is finished. He came to gather our fragments to take away our brokenness, to take away our shattered lives. And I thank you, Father, that I've watched nothing do it like this gospel of grace, this gospel of peace, which means nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing fragmented. So let that be our declaration as we sit under the word this year, as we sit under the teachings this year, whether it be here or there, as we sit under it to allow that which is pure and that which is lovely to infiltrate our minds and displace all of our wrong-headed beliefs and thinkings. I am so thankful and so grateful for your goodness, Father. Jesus said, gather the fragments. In Jesus' name, amen.